0: Hey there. Welcome back to the Uncovered Dish Christian Leadership Podcast, the podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. And we are your hosts, James Lee
1: and Gabby Corbett. And today, our guest is the Reverend Dr. John Huh, who received both his PhD and his MDiv from my alma mater, Princeton Theological Seminary. I'm going to come up with a catchphrase for this. Uh, he began serving as the Bryant M. Kirkland Dean of the Chapel and Vice President for Student Life at Princeton in August of 2022. Dean Ha has cultivated a thriving career amidst the intersections of academia, psychology, social justice, and ministry. Previous to his deanship at Princeton, for 12 years, Dr. Ha was one, has served as one of the three founding pastors of the New Mercy Community Church, which is a multicultural congregation in Hackensack, New Jersey. Dr. Ha has guided a flourishing ministry with this congregation in a team leadership model with a vision to be the church for the broken. However, most recently, Dr. Ha has just given a workshop to the youth leaders here at Ignite on pastoral care for youth. So thank you so much for being with us today. We're so excited to talk to you. Yeah.
0: I love reading bios because you just, (laughs) you go, wow, that person's a big deal. I get anxious. I'm like, (laughs) you hear words
2: like flourishing and you're like, uh, I don't know if it was that, but thank (laughs) you. We're going
1: to start there, right? We're just going to set the bar very high. I'll take it. I'll take it. Thank you. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about how you got where you are, what you're doing, what excites you about ministry and life and yeah, snapshot. So my entire bio
2: <laughs> in a few sentences.
1: Yes, exactly. This is easy. Come on. God
2: called. I didn't want to say yes. And I ended up here. Um, and, and that's really the summary of it. I grew up under uh, a pastoral family. My father was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. Uncles are all pastors. So when you see how the sausage is made behind stage, that's the last thing you want to eat. I did not want to go into ministry. Um, In fact, I told God many, many years, I do not want to go to seminary. I don't want to become an ordained pastor um, and many more that came along after that. But one thing led to another. And I really wanted to, at a certain point in my life, I felt convicted to study and practice uh, counseling. Mm -hmm. I was a psychology major in undergrad and among other dreams that I've had, I thought maybe one route is to become a therapist. Um, and that really led me to consider, man, I think I need to learn what it means to do counseling in the context of church with the capital C. because when I grew up, I just felt like churches, maybe it was the ones that I grew up in, just felt like they were really not great at pastoral care and counseling. And in fact, the topics of mental emotional health wasn't really a topic that we talked about in the church, right yeah, So. Yeah, yeah. Those convictions really led me to go to Princeton Seminary and study pastoral theology and pastoral counseling. And that's what I teach. And um, although I wear a different hat at the school now, uh, that's really hopefully my approach and my work is to care for our students with the pastoral lens and pastoral heart.
0: Mm, mm, Absolutely. Yeah, I think as a pastor, of a local church, we wear many hats, right? We're the CEO of a nonprofit, uh, public communicator, teacher, and so many other things, but one of it is to be this counselor, like the, to offer pastoral care. So, but you were just sharing how you've seen instances in certain contexts where it was not done particularly well. So what is good pastoral care look to you?
2: Yeah, I mean, what I'll start with by saying is that we distinguish pastoral care and pastoral counseling. Mm. When we use the word care, it's more general. It's something that all pastors in their seminary days or whatever um, form of education they receive, you learn how to do hospital visits. You learn how to listen with empathy. You learn to show up and uh, provide different types of care for general issues that people go through Mm -hmm. it's usually short term is usually non-paid work or part included into the multiple hats that you were talking about james Um, when we talk about counseling it's a little bit more professional it's long-term care it's very specific detailed issues um sometimes it's crisis intervention but that also leads to some type of professional understanding and a type of care that we have to learn how to do. So I would just distinguish the two when I talk about it in this podcast and say that pastoral care is something that we all have to learn how to do. It's uh, listening with empathy, learning what it means to be in the other person's shoes. And that's something that all pastors have to learn. Um, And pastoral counseling, many of us are not trained to be counselors. And honestly, in seminary education, usually these are electives that you choose compared to, let's say um, OTNT studies or (laughs) systematic theology. I'm Uh, not bitter at all, but uh, this is not really uh, mandated um, because it all falls under practical theology of education, homiletics, right? Preaching and counseling. And sometimes it's just kind of, you do it and be trained if you want to so we most of us are not professionally trained in counseling any sort so what i would say is there are things that our churches need to do to constantly uh, teach and um, support pastors how to give care better that includes self-care and giving care to others but there are also systems that we need to put in place in churches that provide counseling and if it's not done internally in the church, we need to find other resources because, you know, it's a booming industry, yeah. and there really has been a big divide between the church, generally speaking, mm-hmm. and those who are professionally trained to provide counseling. Um, oh as wow. if kind of like in house, we want to we want to take care of our people in house, but what if your in house folks are not really trained to handle certain types of work, or issues? Right. So there are people out there and we need to kind of bridge that gap. And oftentimes I found myself um, as a pastor or as a pastoral counselor, as a professor, how do we bridge those gaps?
1: Yeah, I think it's really important to make that distinction because I think too often pastors are like, I took one pastoral care class or one pastoral counseling class in seminary. And so now I'm qualified to be able to offer
0: Marriage counseling. Marriage counseling,
1: or like, you know, your yeah, teen yeah, is right. navigating their mental health, whatever it is, and I think it's really important, right, to, as you said, to distinguish between those two because a lot of harm can be done if we're not navigating those things. But at the same time, it's really important for us to set up the systems to help people get the resources that they need to do good things. Yeah. And to thrive. Mm. We like thriving.
0: It's kind of important. Yeah, I mean, okay. <laughs> So, so, so kind of go deeper. I mean, you were in local church ministry for many years, Mm -hmm. so I imagine you encountered instances where these intersected or there was like, Hey, this is more than what say our church pastors or staff can offer. Mm -hmm. So kind of walk me through, what does that look like bridging the gap, working with outside organizations? Yeah.
2: What I would say is first, um, in order to bridge the gap, you need to know what the gap is. And the gap is, in my opinion, is that churches, once again, um, want to take care of their congregants internally, Mm -hmm. but sometimes only internally because there is some kind of assumed distrust of those who are outside of the church. But people who work in these professional fields who we consider sometimes outside supporters or secular workers are part of our church and they have resources they have degrees they have information that the churches can utilize mm-hmm. and oftentimes we don't tap into that and the other portion that i often see in the churches they don't have a system of caregiving in place yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. absolutely
2: very easy way to talk about that issue is I often ask pastors when they come up to me after seminars or talking about pastoral counseling, they say, that was amazing, that's great. And they're really much more focused on, on individual tools that they can take home and say, how do I do this better? But what I say is, what you do individually has to also fit within a system or a structure of care that you have in your church. Yeah, right. So I asked them then, let me see your budget sheet
1: oh
2: (laughs) (laughs) how much of your church budget is specifically spent or saved for utilization of enhancing one's mental health or emotional health listen buying church equipment is great we need it we need building structures we need other infrastructures we need other ministry funding i'm not saying those are not important but oftentimes what gets overlooked is Um, the mental health, emotional health portion. And in most churches that I see, they have some kind of discipleship group. Mm -hmm. They have small groups. They have welcoming committees where it is very relational. It's a lot about listening to others and providing that kind of more generic care peer to peer. But I'm saying, systematically do our church leaders really think about same way we think about you know, worship music, or worship liturgy, or teaching Bible study courses, or leading youth ministry. Do we think of it the similar way as taking care and providing counseling for our congregants? And sometimes we need more than the way we've been functioning. And so I think that's sometimes the gap. So I think what we need is whether it's a system of internally taking care of our congregants that way, having ministries or personnel within, and or finding out what resources exist in your local church or local communities. What counselors are, are there that we can trust? And maybe you need a vetting system. Maybe you need to create a team that goes out and do the research and say, hey, we're gonna contact counseling centers near us who provide amazing work, and we're gonna see if we can trust them and if we can send people. Maybe you wanna create a fund within the church that says, Here is somebody who's going to take care of this confidentially, but provide funding if you want to invest in that. Or, I'm just throwing out a bunch of ideas (laughs) that many nonprofit groups and churches are doing now, is that we need to create funds and resources for our pastors and pastors' immediate family members. Mm -hmm. The amount of stress and concerns that they go through if you do believe that the leadership up top to some degree does trickle down the health of the ministry leadership, then are our session members, our pastors, and their family members really being taken care of emotionally and mentally. So those are some of the ideas that I like to always just challenge the church and say that's the gap Mm. that we need to fill. And we need to think about what kind of system do you wanna have in place in order to provide those when the issues do come out, mm.
1: well, the I, church, I served a church uh, in Linwood, New Jersey that had a counseling center as part of its ministry, and that was always the cool like that in and of itself. There was two. There was a deacon who was assigned to the church, and she was a licensed social worker and mental health therapist. And so they started this center where they could refer people from the congregation, and it was you know sliding scale. Mm -hmm. And it was just such an incredible gift to the community. And I was like, this is what we need to start moving people with, because I'm sure you've seen a widening of this gap Mm -hmm. since the pandemic began Mm -hmm. uh, and how much our mental health and emotional intelligence and all of these other things have suffered so deeply and what the impact is on our communities and how we pastor churches and how we lead in local churches it's got to be a lot
2: yeah and and i love how you put it the emotional mental health conditions of who we are directly are in alignment with our spiritual health yep we talk about that we preach that but what i'm saying is like is it in the budget sheet right (laughs) is it in ministry is
0: it lived out yeah is it
2: actually happening and if so how and the leadership needs to talk and create a system that says this is how we're gonna approach it. Now there's so many different models and perhaps this uh, podcast isn't the place to talk about all the different models, but certain models have certain strengths and certain weaknesses. So what's important is there is no perfect model. I just want the churches to see what the gap is and seeing if they're taking these issues that we're talking about seriously enough To say, hey, we need some people to look into this. Mm -hmm. And we have some budget. We have some leadership looking over these concerns. Because once again, ultimately, we're not trying to turn the church into psychological centers or counseling centers. That's not the goal. But if we are saying biblically and spiritually, our relationship with the Lord and relationship with others are impacted by Way we think, way we feel, our relationship with others. Then, the churches need to also uh, uh, invest, you know, in different ways more than what I'm seeing so far.
1: I love it.
2: Hmm. Hmm. Mm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to sit with that for a moment. <laughs>
0: Are you like having flashbacks? Is that what's going no, on? No,
1: I'm having like, this is what the future of the church should be. Mm. We got to take care of each
2: other. Yeah. And it's happening. It's happening now. And and that's what excites me. Yeah. And it's not like, these are not new ideas. We've all known this. It's just that I feel like a lot of churches as the, the different movements in mental health, emotional health, as the pandemic pressed us to really think about man it's important that we have deep relationships mm. and we need physical interactions with each other and we begin questioning what is the church for and what is the uniqueness of what the church provides yeah, yeah. that's it. is that you know we we need to figure out what are the missing components as we provide uh, yeah. those type of spiritual care right and i think mental health and emotional health should be included in it and far more. And a lot of churches are doing it. They're talking about it and they're trying to create certain systems. And there are a lot of nonprofit organizations that are forming.
0: I could also imagine a lot of our pastors who are listening to this podcast also, even though this is not new, it's been going on for a long time. It may be new news for some of our pastors or some of the churches where the experience of pastoral care and then counseling is quite limited not very structured it's just kind of oh let's talk let's hang out oh it feels like you need a little bit more care i don't know what to do and that kind of that i i see often as well so i know you said there are many different models with pros and cons but just to kind of drop some inspiration right is there yeah. one yeah. model that you can kind <clears> of <throat> share and say this is what it could look like just to kind of paint the picture for someone to whom this is completely new.
2: Yeah I would say easiest place to start and this is kind of maybe my ministry philosophy is that when something convicts you and you find others who are convicted by the same thing and you meet and you eat together and you pray together over time the spirit moves and different models and options come out There are ones that work with plus and minus size that exist. But I think what I would always start with is find the people who are convicted about these issues. It's not going to be everybody in your church. And I'm not even asking for everybody in the church to be (laughs) this passionate about mental, emotional health of our people. But some people are. You gather those few and everybody can do this. You start meeting up regularly, consistently, and you pray together, and you talk about these issues as we are in something like this. And as you do, Holy Spirit moves, and I truly believe God sometimes just opens different doors. And that's the grace and the love of God that God provides for us. And when that happens, it can be in the ways, the models that traditionally have existed, or sometimes you can leap into different areas, and we can be creative and create different structures and systems that work. For example, to share one more traditional model is what I just mentioned. Finding a team in your church, meet convicted folks, and then say, we're going to take this entire year to go find out what kind of counseling centers and therapists are near us. Find out a list of questions that you want to ask in order to vet them. And then go to your church leadership and ask, we found these people. What can we do to encourage our congregation to utilize these services? Mm-hmm. In fact, press your leadership. Can we, can we subsidize financially? Wow. Can we teach wow. our congregants? Can we preach this? Can we bring in these counselors? If you don't trust them, let's bring them in and do a seminar first. Yeah. Let's yeah, test yeah. them out. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Give them particular topics that they want to talk about and see how your congregant reacts to it. Mm. And then create a referral system so that if XYZ issues come out, these are the people in our church who will find out and that we will inform. And then they will take care of how to provide these physical necessary support as well as emotional psychological support and referral is usually doable because you don't have to create an internal system of care but you are finding people around you Mm -hmm. that works on the flip side let me give you more of a a, a personal story if I may of what happened in northern New Jersey in Bergen County so we had an internal pastoral care counseling system within our church that we planted, mm-hmm. Church for the Broken. We wanted people to come and share. We wanna be vulnerable. We wanted to share each other's stories, but we also wanted to provide some kind of caregiving system. Yeah. Reality is, unless you're gonna be able to hire full-time personnel to specifically do this work and build out a, a, a team mm-hmm. to actually do the care, actually do the counseling, it's very difficult. Yeah. And as these requests started piling on, I realized Year five, year six in, many pastors in local churches found out, hey, John, we heard that you know these referrals. We know that you can actually see them yourself. Here are people. Can you take them? Year seven co- came around, and I said to myself, hmm, I think people are catching on, and they actually care about these issues. Yeah. Wow. So I brought a bunch of pastors together, and we started meeting up monthly and we say hey we're just going to hang out talk about not congregants in individual names and issues that they're going through but generally what are you facing that's challenging in your ministry what do you find that's challenging in your personal life in your family life as you do pastoral work so we we were venting we you know we were venting we're saying this sucks <laughs> that sucks we're not paid enough you know right, the right. stuff that pastors talk about behind closed doors
0: and i never said that <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe it's it's just me <laughs> And my colleagues,
2: (laughs) (laughs) but those conversations led to yeah, okay, we need to do something. Yeah, we have a lot of congregants that are hurt. Yeah, Yeah. we realize we can't provide certain professional help because we're not trained. So that led to us actually creating a counseling network among three churches in the beginning about three and a half years ago. Okay, and we started off as a 501c3. New Jersey nonprofit oh, yeah, organization yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. the funds come from the churches nice. mm-hmm. they are used predominantly other than some of the uh, legal fees that we have to pay to run the organizations and admin work it is strictly used to subsidize counseling mm-hmm. for our congregants yeah. Wow. who sign up register and then we do the matching that's the first thing that we do we try to match um, to the preferences that people are looking for. Obviously, it's not a 100 proof system, but we try to match with culturally, contextually sensitive folks that these people need. So we do the matching in the middle. Second thing we provide is we provide financial support. We actually ask the counselors and counseling centers that we work with, hey, I know y'all need to get paid (laughs) for the amazing services you provide, but can you Lower your cost and have a fixed cost at this point, which is like 50, 60% of what they normally would charge. And look at this as a ministry because it is. Mm -hmm. And utilize your God-given gifts to serve the greater church with a capital C. Mm -hmm. And tell us how many hours you can provide, how many clients you can take, and we will match them with you. And so it's a fixed cost. We pay 50% of that fixed cost from the counseling network and the client pays the counselor 50% directly. So we have a financial support system. And the third thing that we provide is if the churches wanna do conferences, seminars, education, psychosocial education, they contact us and we provide the folks who are professionals, who are all licensed therapists, by the way, and we send them. We say, hey, you wanna talk about youth and family issues in this particular you know, topic? We got two people who are amazing at that. Yeah. Why don't you contact these people? and we make that connection and send the right resources to the churches because we understand that the churches sometimes do not have folks or or the time or the energy to look into these resources.
0: John, I loved hearing this model and the the beautiful things that have built out of it. What I kept hearing over and over and over again was the word we, Mm -hmm. and that just really resonates with me because so oftentimes pastors, A lot of our churches, pastors are the sole staff person, or oftentimes a sole full-time staff person, even that, and feels alone, feels like they have to figure this out by themselves. But this was, uh, I kept hearing we in many different levels. Like It was the we with the folks in the congregation. How can we work through this? and develop a model that fits our context. But then it went even beyond that, how you went multi-congregational. It was, it was the going through a connection of different churches to work together and that's, that's beautiful. I, I really want to really emphasize that this isn't something that a pastor or anyone should be trying to figure out all by themselves, but that it's to work with the community, work with a greater connection to do something better together.
2: yeah Yeah, and and we're not a counseling center we don't hire any therapists yeah yeah. But it's a network which means it's pretty loose yeah relationship in the sense that right now we have 10 churches bought into this network and we're growing but honestly next year three churches can say hey we have budget issues or we no longer want to become part of the network it works because people bought in and they understand the we portion of this ministry and that's what a church is. That's any community. Yeah. So I'm glad you picked up on that. And thanks. thank you for highlighting that is because if people who are convicted don't work together, nothing really great happens.
1: That's, that's true. Mm-hmm. I, so I do safe sanctuaries for the conference and it's been a big push this year. And one of the things that I keep reminding folks is that hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, you know, through my safe sanctuaries work, I'm constantly hearing, well, that could never happen here, right? Those kinds of abuses don't happen in our local churches. But I also think that it's really important for us to remember that A, it does and B, when people are hurting, which we're seeing across the board in clergy, in lay leadership, in our, you know, laity who are joining in in our communities. There is so much that is broken and so much that is hurting that the it is almost a gospel imperative to care for the mental health of the people around us. So we don't bleed on other people, right? That's what Henry Nowen says, right? If we're not. Or or not takes it even a step further, and and talks about right preaching and talking and teaching from our scars and not our festering wounds. Mm-hmm. Like so, we're not bleeding on top of people. And I think that that's something really important for all of us to remember: is that even if you can't buy in because mental health is still really scary, think about it also as caring for. Hurting people, yeah, and everybody's hurting right now. Yeah, you know?
0: I also loved that sort of the boundary. What I heard was, at a certain point, you were like, "I, I, I can't do this all by myself." Even <laughs> though you're a professional, you, this is as a counsel as a counselor. This is something you're studied, your PhDs in counseling, but saying no. How do we share that burden together? Yeah, and and, and delega- not only delegate but just share it together. Yeah, again, going back to that we. Yeah. And
2: sometimes it's practical,
0: yeah.
2: right? Sometimes it's <laughs> visional and missional. like we need to do this together. but let's be honest, sometimes it's we because one church is, one church sometimes can't fund right, yeah. right. such right. network yeah, 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 yeah.
1: <laughs> well right. and and I think we've become so siloed and and I think James and I think about this a lot with the Methodist church in general because we're watching the implosion of our denomination. Uh, <laughs> but I, you keep noting the big C church, right? This idea that we are all deeply connected and we keep trying to silo ourselves out. And the only thing that siloing does is creates more work and more burden yeah. and more isolation. Whereas if we can you know, come together, we can do these incredible, amazing things that my church wouldn't be able to do that by themselves. But if they partner with all of these other churches, you get to do something really amazing.
2: Yeah, and you know what's amazing is that those people exist in your churches. (laughs) Yeah. They already exist. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. It's the the matter of the leadership giving the platform and the autonomy and the freedom Mm -hmm. for these people to gather together. Not that the leadership has to okay this, but the leadership, if they support it, and they lead it and guide it from the front, middle, and the back, that's the ideal. Yeah. But these people exist. Yeah. And it's a matter of us starting those conversations and when they get together, I'm telling you, it, it, the spirit does amazing things with broken people. Uh, wow, come on. I don't
1: preach. <laughs> that's a tweet. <laughs> Put it on X.
2: <laughs> I don't have Twitter or Twitter X or, whatever, or whatever, it is. whatever you call I it. What it is. <laughs> I'm very encouraged that there are conversations about vulnerability and being open about our wounds and hurts and brokenness in the church and through the church. It's also, um, I would say to some degree, very. it's become popularized. If you look at pop psychology and a lot of the uh, media being vulnerable and being open is a strength and it's it has healing restorative power, it's true. But once again, those thoughts and those philosophies or theology has to be actualized. Right. In action, in ministry, in the things that we do. And I think we're at a critical juncture where these ideas that we love and we gravitate towards are being actualized yeah. in churches, yeah. and I just want to encourage those who are doing it. Yeah. Do more. Yeah. Interact more, and let's have more of these discussions and conversations, because I think that will kind of pave the way, not only of the models that I kind of described here, but others.
0: That imagine like, what else could be created? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it. I hear. Uh, show me your budget sheet. Yes. <laughs> and but then also show me your team. Yeah. Yeah
1: yeah that's awesome that's incredible mm. so we have one question yeah. that we ask all of our podcast guests we are methodist methodists care very deeply about their food that's why we're the uncovered dish podcast because mm. we have lots of covered dish dinners if you could eat only one thing for the rest of your life breakfast lunch dinner no variations what would it be
2: Ooh, i would say breakfast
1: but what what would the meal what be? Oh, what would, dish would be? the yeah. yeah. Oh, what would the dish, dish be? Yeah. What, yeah. yeah.
2: I see. The dish would be this Korean meat dish called galbi. Yes. Which is just soy sauce marinated beef cut in thin slices short um ribs. short ribs. Um Yeah, that w- that's what I would eat but my Doctors probably may some say something else about that. Since uh, I need to cut out more red meat from my diet, so that's my desire. But that's probably not what I should be doing. Is what I would
0: I say. It would be a short but joyful life. Yes. There you go. There we go. <laughs> yes, that's what
2: short ribs are for.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, next time we hang out, we'll get some carby. Thanks, James. That sounds good. Well, uh, John, if people wanted to uh, connect with you or see what you're all about, can they reach you? Where can they connect with you?
2: Yeah. Um, First, apply to Princeton Theological Seminary. (laughs)
1: Yes.
2: (laughs) I feel like I needed to throw in there somehow, somewhere. Um, Thanks for that question. Um, Because then you'll see me there. I'm on campus every day Monday through Friday but um, yeah and, and uh, seriously that's that's where I live that's where I do my ministry and I see it as a ministry and I'm in the in the uh, vocation now of taking care of our students um, on campus so um, yeah please come by if you look up Princeton Theological Seminary my contact information is there
0: (laughs) there you go there you go so you have to do a little bit of homework if you wanted to connect with john but google princeton seminary john john thank you so much for being on the podcast it's been a blessing and we hope to have you on again soon yes and have some thank you thank you so much all right thank you (laughs)